Welcome to Getting Through It, where we're here to help you get through it. I'm John Buery, and as always, I'm with a fan of scientific scales, Dr. Lucy Jones. Today's episode is sponsored in part by SoCal Gas, who's committed to building resilience in the communities they serve. We also thank our individual supporters who help underwrite the work of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society through Patreon. Would you consider sponsoring this podcast for as little as $5 per month? Because your support enables us to serve even more communities. Simply go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Now let's get to it. As we conclude our four-part series on California's other big one, we're going to look at what it all means for us and how we have, and in the future can, manage to get through the devastation of an extreme storm and flooding across California. These storms and subsequent impacts from flooding really only matter because of their impact on people. And for those who've been listening to this podcast over many episodes, you know that people don't do a great job of managing risks that seem so extreme that the event doesn't really even seem possible. Why is that, Lucy? What have you come to know from your work with disaster sociologists about the way people respond to this type of extreme event? You know, the best way to explain this is to use the example of how our scenarios of extreme events were received. It gets into how people perceive earthquakes versus storms. When we released the shakeout scenario, a big earthquake on the Southern San Andreas Fault, it was really embraced by the emergency managers. And in fact, as people used it, they often wanted to make it worse. It didn't seem bad enough for them. When we released the arc storm scenario, which is an event with the same probability of happening as the earthquake, but in fact doing four times the damage, many of the emergency managers at least just went, oh, that's not possible. We know what a storm is and it's not gonna be like that. Oh, I'm not gonna listen to that. And there's a couple of reasons that we see this. And the biggest one is probably what's called a normalization bias. We worry about the things that are near to us, that are normal to us. We'd see that people who had been through the Northridge earthquake thought, oh, I know a big earthquake. And they wouldn't believe that the Southern San Andreas earthquake was that much worse. Whereas with rain, we all go through rain. We know what rain is. And we just don't imagine that it could be that much worse. And of course, we've done such a good job of controlling our moderate events through the extensive flood control systems that we've put in place. We no longer have regular flooding. Back in the 19th century, if you lived in Southern California, you got flooded every decade or so. Now it's been since 1938. And so we've lost the memory of what floods can do to California. The truth is we have had bad storms, but we've sort of engineered our way out of it. So this shouldn't be new to people. Right. We have had previous floods. And if you go back to that 1938 event that I mentioned, we had widespread flooding across Los Angeles and Orange counties. But because of it, we developed our flood control system. We put in those channels to get the water out to the ocean as quickly as possible. And then when we had a really big event in 1969, a couple of weeks of rain, you can see pictures that show the LA River just right on the edge of overspilling its banks and flooding out through downtown Los Angeles, but it didn't happen. So we came to feel that we had managed the risks and it wasn't gonna happen again. But the occurrence of near misses doesn't mean you're safe. It means you aren't prepared for something a bit worse than that. Extreme events follow what's called a power law distribution. That means there's lots of little ones, much fewer big ones, and very rare extreme ones. We have magnitude three earthquakes every week. We only have the eight once a century. 
The same thing is true of storms. We've removed the experience of the moderate runs of the equivalent of Northridge, but we still have that really big one in our future and we no longer are prepared for it. If you remember in our third episode, the third episode we recorded together of this podcast, this is last year, we talked about what makes us afraid. And I can't help but think that this feeds right into that, that one of the key components was uncertainty, the unknownness of it. Absolutely. So when you look at the difference between rain and earthquakes, earthquakes, you can't see them and they're not predicted. Rain, we predict it and we see it coming. And this makes a really big impact because when you think about why we're afraid of what we're afraid of, that evolved as we were being chased across the savannah by whatever predators. And the ones we couldn't see, the ones we didn't understand are more dangerous than the ones that we see coming, that we understand, that we know how to get ready for. The risk of floods is always underestimated compared to equivalent perils. Another similarity to this is in the pandemic. Think of the beginning of the pandemic, how scared we were because we didn't understand it. We didn't know how it was transmitted. Now we know that masks make a big difference. We know that vaccinations are working, even though we now have more deaths per day now in the United States than we did say in April of 2020. It doesn't feel so scary because we understand it. When you understand it, you tend to underestimate it. As we go back to the storm, we recall that this came from this study that you did about 10 years ago, the release of the arc storm scenario. Beyond the channelization of rivers that we've talked about just now back in the 1930s and subsequent years, how are things changing in response to a greater understanding of the arc storm and similar type events by those in charge, those with authority to make decisions to make us all safer? Well, this has actually been one of the places where creating those scenarios served a real purpose. We don't do these to scare the general public. We do these to inform decision makers to make better decisions. And one of the big things that came out of the arc storm scenario and the collaboration that happened then is something called an RCAT scale. We know with hurricanes that they have categories and we think of them in those terms. And those categories are defined by the amount of wind. But with our arc storms, yes, there can be wind. It's not as extreme as a hurricane. And it's usually, it's often in a different location than the extreme rain. So the meteorologists and researchers that were involved in this came up with what's called the RCAT scale or a rain category that is based on how much rain is going to fall on you over the next three days. And it gives us a way of looking at the more extreme ends of the rain distribution. Previously, the top category sort of available to the forecasters was more than an inch of rain in the next day. And some of these storms are way, way beyond that. And that damage comes from this. So we now have when a storm comes in on the big ones that there will be an RCAT or a category of how much rain to expect. And that allows water managers to do a much better job of getting their dams ready and knowing how much water to store, etc. It does miss one piece, however. Even the RCAT is based on three days because that's really about as far as you can really accurately predict the rainfall coming in. And we can now start saying maybe a week or two out, it still looks like there's a lot of rain coming in. But when you think about the arc storm or 1862, the extreme damage happened because the rain went on for 30, 40, 50 days. That's not something we're capable of predicting that far out. So at the beginning of the storm, they might say, we know there's going to be heavy rain for at least a week. And sort of each week, that's going to be updated. So the most extreme events won't be predicted right up. But 
knowing that what's coming in on the next three days is much more severe than you might have talked about before is definitely helping us with managing it. So with this, how can Californians deal with this risk? How should people think about this impending event? Well, I do think we need to remember about how disruptive it can be. It's going to cost a lot of money. I've said this before, but the storm cost four times as much as the earthquake with the same probability. What we have to depend upon is the more diverse economy than we had back in 1862, but also to rely upon the larger U.S. economy being able to help us get up and respond. We've also said it's how quickly you can recover that makes some of the biggest differences. It's clear from our past few episodes that we're talking about California, but based on what you just said, it's a good reminder that this is really a national issue. The California economy and the way that so much of California affects the rest of the country, that this is an issue that everyone needs to be aware about. Right. And also, we do need to remember that California is not the only place where climate change is driving an increase in storms. Right. I mean, we look at the weather around the globe, and even in the last couple of years, you see an increase in frequency and increase in intensity of weather events, larger hurricanes, more tornadoes, more frequently, more often. How do we think about this storm without it being just one more way to be afraid of what the earth can do to us? We begin from the logical recognition that the increased heat in the atmosphere, we have warmed, is more energy to drive storms, and they really are becoming more frequent, more extreme. I think it's important to remember that more storms doesn't mean less drought. We're actually getting more drought and more extreme storms because the swing of the pendulum is getting bigger. Actually, here in California, they've always gone together. The years after the 1862 storm were some of the driest in California's history. So, Lucy, what do we do beyond being afraid then? We need to change the framework with which we think about disasters. Instead of thinking them as this really extreme event that who could know it's somewhere out in another time and probably won't happen, we need to think of extreme events as part of the system and part of our planning. It's a perverse benefit of the increase in extreme events is that it might actually make it easier for us to plan for them because our normalization bias wants us to only think of the last 40 or 50 years. And now those are going to be including more extreme events and helping us at least take this in, change the framework, make it part of our future and our planning. We'll end our conversation on California's other big one here for now. And when it starts to rain and doesn't stop, I'm sure we'll talk about it again. Until then, I'm John Bwery with Dr. Lucy Jones and you getting through it. Getting Through It is a production of the Dr. Lucy Jones Center for Science and Society. Visit us online to get past shows and become a supporter at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com and search Dr. Lucy Jones. Our music is performed by Josh Lee and this closing music is written by our own Dr. Lucy Jones. <laughs>